This morning are going to be in Matthew chapter 27, page 834, if you're using a pew Bible this morning. It was just one week ago today that we looked at the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. Jesus entering into the city on a donkey, people declaring him to be the king, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Save us, they were crying, and we are saved, they shouted, both of those things. The people gathered that day were expecting a national present day in that moment king to come and to overthrow the Roman rule. But in Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem that day, as we talked about last week, he was declaring a different kind of kingship. Jesus organized, Jesus planned, Jesus put together a plan showing and declaring that he was the sovereign divine, prophesied Savior who comes in peace for all nations and will one day return as the eternal King of kings and Lord of lords. And now we come one week later and a lot has changed since we were together last week. In the course of a week, The temple courts have been cleared by Jesus. A fig tree has been cursed and then shriveled. Judas, one of Jesus' disciples, had agreed to betray Jesus. Jesus has gathered with his disciples to share a Passover celebration together. And in those moments together on that Thursday night, he gives a new command, a new mandate that they are to love one another. He demonstrates that by washing the feet, by the greatest becoming the least, and introducing to us the sacrament of communion. In the course of this last week, the disciples have fallen asleep in the garden while Jesus prayed so fiercely and ferociously that he sweat drops of blood. The soldiers came and arrested Jesus in the garden. Herod and Pilate and the high priests sent Jesus' case back and forth between them, wanting and waiting for the other to make some kind of judgment. Peter Denies knowing Jesus, not just once or twice, but three times. Judgment comes down as the people request Barabbas to be pardoned and released rather than Jesus. Crucify him, crucify him, they shout. Jesus is beaten and has a crown of thorns placed on his head. He's forced to pick up and carry his cross down the Via Dolorosa. And finally, at Golgotha, soldiers pound nails into Jesus' hands and feet as they nail him to a wooden cross for crucifixion. 
That's where we pick up the story in Matthew chapter 27. Beginning in verse 45, it'll be on the screen. You can also read it. Now, from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, limit sabachthani, which is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge and filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, a curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook and the rocks were split and the tombs also were opened. And many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the Son of God. Continuing in verse 57, when it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea, Joseph, who was also a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him, and Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had cut in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. The gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, they all share different perspectives, different parts of this same story. As they share it, they try to, to, to give a historical, a factual accounting of the story. They want us to see what happened at the crucifixion, what happened at the resurrection of Jesus. It's not in the Gospels that we try to find the meaning and significance of what happened that day. We typically turn to the epistles in the New Testament, the writings, especially the letters of Paul that we have been looking at here at Richland. It's there that we find most of the explanation and meaning and significance of what happened on the cross that day. But I think today what we see here in Matthew gives us a bit of a picture it was impossible on that day, at least, for Matthew and the other disciples to really have a full understanding. It was impossible in that moment for them to have a true understanding of the importance or the impact of what was happening. They could not see the once and for all sacrifice that was being made. They did not understand that an atonement was being made for the sins of his people. And they did not certainly comprehend that a propitiation was being made for the wrath of God. The explanation for those things is, again, mostly found in the epistles. But Matthew describes several other things in this passage, 
that shows us the significance and the meaning of what happened on the cross and at the tomb those days. He helps us to see that Jesus, while he was not the king that we longed for, as we talked about last week, he was exactly the Messiah that we needed. So let's look this morning at a couple of details in this story that help us to better understand the Messiah that we needed. As you can see in some of these details, the very first detail that happens there in in verse 45 is that from the sixth hour to the ninth hour, the land is covered in darkness. From noon to three, the middle of the day, the land is covered in darkness. There are some... There are some commentators even that will tell us that this possibly was some kind of solar eclipse that happened on that day. And yet, you and I, I think, both know that solar eclipses, even at the best of times, even at the longest of times, are calculated in minutes, not hours. So as one man says, it's probably better to understand this as a divine eclipse rather than a solar eclipse. I think it's best for us to begin to have this picture of what the darkness was by, by seeing and understanding it to know that it was undoubtedly a deep and supernatural darkness that overwhelmed that area. It seems to arrive as a divine judgment falls onto the light of the world. In that moment, as darkness settles onto Golgotha, onto the cross, it's in that moment that Jesus bears, that Jesus wears the weight of our sin, your sin and my sin. On his shoulders. And the judgment and the curse of those sins, of those iniquities, is so repulsive to the Father that God turns away from his one and only Son, and darkness covers the area. It's in that moment when darkness covers the area and those hours at the end of those three hours that Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus in that moment isn't just feeling forsaken. He is forsaken. It's in that moment that God has to turn his back on his son. It's in that moment that God does, in fact, forsake his son because God has to forsake sin. We cannot trivialize it. We cannot make it too small because the actuality is our sin is much bigger than we know or can imagine. Sin is a big deal. And so our sin must be forsaken. And so the perfect and holy and sinless God turns his back on the one who wears the weight of our sin. 
God has to forsake sin. If it's not for Jesus' forsakenness that day, if it's not for the rejection and the weight of the sin that fell on Jesus, it would have to fall on you and I, and we would not stand under the pressure. And so Jesus, not just feeling forsaken, but knowing his forsakenness in that moment, says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then Matthew tells us that Jesus cries out again in a loud voice. He doesn't tell us exactly what he says, but we know from Luke and from John that at the end of his life, in the final moment, Luke says that Jesus proclaims, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Right before he dies, John says, right before he dies, Jesus cries out and says, it is finished. What was finished? The forsakenness. Jesus now commits his spirit into the hands of the Father, knowing that the final atonement has been done. He has accomplished what the Father has sent him to do. The work of redemption is complete. As David writes in Psalm 22, he has done it. And it is done. Jesus then yields up his spirit. It's in that moment, in that moment when Jesus gives up his spirit, when Jesus dies here in Matthew 27, 50, that Matthew then gives, gives us a picture of a number of events that confirm the cosmic significance of what has just happened. As Jesus yields up his spirit, Matthew tells us, Behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The curtain in the temple, you know about the curtain in the temple, right? The curtain that separates the holy of holies from the rest of the temple. The curtain that separates the spot that only the priest can enter into one time a year to offer sacrifices directly where, where previously, in the Old Testament times, where the Ark of the Covenant, the, the exact peace that reminds us of God, the seat of God, the mercy seat on the Ark, the priest would have come and offered blood sacrifices in that moment to a holy God one time a year. They dare not enter any other time. They dare not enter without, without a number of purification rituals completed before they enter in. And even then, and even then they would enter in with a rope tied around their ankle so that they could be pulled out if anything were to happen and they were to perish. For 1,500 years, for 1,500 years, the curtain represented the barrier between God and man. The barrier between God and man was not just represented for 1,500 years by a curtain in the temple or in the tabernacle. But the barrier between God and man showed up at the very beginning in the garden. If you remember, after Adam and Eve eat the fruit, when sin enters into the world, 
God curses Adam and Eve and kicks them out of the garden and places, places an angel with a sword so that they cannot enter back into the garden. They will never again in those moments have the same relationship with God that they had before sin entered into the world. From that moment that Adam and Eve ate the fruit that God called them not to eat, there has been a separation, a barrier between man and God. And this curtain, this gigantic curtain in the temple, 80 feet tall, 60 feet wide, this gigantic curtain immediately Upon the death of Jesus, when it is finished and the forsakenness is over, immediately the curtain from the temple is torn in two, from top to bottom, from God to man. And the barrier has been removed. Praise God. He goes on to tell us, the earth shook and the rocks were split. That every part of creation, in that moment, every part of creation resonated with the significance of what was happening. Rocks and trees cry out in praise. It is finished. He goes on to tell us, tombs were opened. Many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. Coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went to the holy city and appeared to many. We don't know. We don't know much about what that means. Nowhere else, and only Matthew is the only one who, who talks about this. We don't have any other picture even in the New Testament of what it was. We can't even give a very good comprehensive explanation of it. We don't know whether they were raised and then later ascended into heaven. We don't know if they were more like Lazarus who, who, who went from dead to alive only to moments later or days or weeks or years later die again. We don't know. I can't even speculate for you. But I love this quote that I got from R.C. Sproul about this passage. He said, we don't know. We don't know the answer to all these things. But he says, it appears that it's an earnest down payment on the promise that in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, death is defeated. It's absolutely what it is. The curtain is torn, the earth shakes, rocks are split, tombs are open, dead people live. And it's then that the centurion and those who are with him keeping watch over Jesus see all that took place. They are filled with awe and they say, truly this was the Son of God. Truly this was the Son of God. All of those things happen, but it's not until two days later when the evidence of this redemption is really seen. If you're reading with me, it's on Matthew chapter 28. Now, in verse 1, now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. 
For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, just as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. And go quickly, tell the disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee, and there you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up, took hold of his feet, and worshipped him. And Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go, tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. It's two days later, after the darkness, after the centurion, after they take his body off and put it into the tomb, it's two days later that the earth quakes again. And an angel appears. And guards tremble and faint. And an angel announces to the women, he is not here, for he has risen. And the women run away, depart in fear and great joy. What a mix of emotions that is. And Jesus meets them and says, greetings. And their response in that moment is that they fall before him and they worship him. They fall before him and they worship him. So my question for you this morning as we close, as the worship team comes to help us to worship as we close our service, my question for you this morning is, what is your response to these cataclysmic events that Matthew describes. The centurion says, truly this is the Son of God. And the women, as Jesus says, greetings, fall to their feet and worship him. My hope this morning on this Resurrection Sunday is that those are your responses as well. Truly, this is the Son of God. There is nowhere else for me to go. Jesus was forsaken so that my sin could be covered. The weight of my sin was on him that day. That darkness that covered the cross, it was because of my sin. And so I believe today And I cry out and I call out on the name of the Lord. And everyone who cries out on the name of the Lord will be saved. My hope this morning is that you say truly this is the Son of God and that your response is one of humility and worship. That we might fall down before him and worship him. Please stand with me as we sing together today. On a hill 
this mercy tree every broken weary soul find your rest and be made whole stripes of blood that stained its frame shed to wash away our shame from the scars pure love released salvation by the mercy tree in the sky between two thieves hung the blameless prince of peace bruised and battered scarred and scorned sacred head pierced by a thorns it is finished was his cry the perfect lamb was crucified his sacrifice our victory our savior chose the mercy Hope when dark that violent day The whole earthquake that loves display Three days silent in the ground This body born for heaven's crown On that bright and glorious day When heaven opened up the grave He's alive and risen indeed. Oh, praise Him for the mercy tree. Death has died, love has won. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Jesus Christ has overcome. He has risen. see his face every tear he'll wipe away no more pain or suffering oh praise him for the mercy tree death has died love has won hallelujah hallelujah Jesus Christ has overcome He has risen from Death has died Death has died Love has won Hallelujah Hallelujah Jesus Christ has overcome He has risen Now, may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you 
with every good, everything good, that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you for coming this morning.